Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource. And I'm John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large at EdSource. Welcome, John. Thanks. We have a lot to talk about this week. Well, what we're going to be talking about mainly is the race for the Superintendent of Public Instruction in California, a statewide nonpartisan office. And earlier this week, the leading candidates for that post came together on the campaign trail at a forum held at the University of Southern California. On the hot seat were Marshall Tuck and Assemblyman Tony Thurman, and one of them is certain to be the next school's chief in the state with the largest school system in the nation. Also on the podium was Lily Plosky, an unknown candidate who could deprive either Tuck or Thurman of a 50% majority in the race, and that could force the race into a runoff in November. The debate was sponsored by Policy Analysis for California Education and a new institute at USC, the Center for Education Policy, Equity, and Governance. John, tell me a little bit about Lily Plosky, who you wrote about. Yes, I had a chance to talk with with Lily. She is a single mom and an instructor at the Upward Bound program for first-generation students at Mills College, and she has been a dean at a community college before that. She has a PhD and very determined, even though this is her first race, without much backing. One of the things we thought we would do today is just play some excerpts from the discussion to give you a sense of who these candidates are. Many of you are familiar with Marshall Tuck because he ran four years ago against Tom Torlakson. That's right. It was a very expensive, the most expensive statewide race then. $30 million was spent. Tom Torlakson had the support of unions, and Marshall Tuck had a number of wealthy charter backers supporting him, and it was became down to be a referendum on charter schools, and we're waiting to see whether this will be too, although both candidates are really trying to branch out and discuss other issues and sell themselves differently. Tony Thurmond has gotten the backing of the Teachers Union, the California Teachers Association, and the California Federation of Teachers. That's kind of the lineup. But Marshall Tuck was asked by the moderator, Adolfo Guzman Lopez, who's a reporter at KPCC, about why he was running for superintendent of public instruction. And uh, this is some of what he had to say. I worked in education for 15 years. I helped create Greendale Public Schools, helped open 10 new schools in Inglewood, South LA, and East LA. Eight of those 10 schools recognized by US News and World Report amongst the better public schools in the country. I left Greendot in 2006 to work in district public schools because that's where the majority of kids are. And I helped create the partnership for Los Angeles schools, which worked with LA Unified to turn around the lowest performing schools in Los Angeles. Schools like Santee High School, which is just two miles away from here. And in 2008, when we started working at Santee, it had 3,500 students, and only 35 were at grade level in math. 35 out of 3,500. We didn't accept this. We brought real change to our schools. We raised more money for our schools. We recruited principals to come work in Watts in East LA and South LA. We invested in teacher professional development, brought technology to our schools, launched a parent college to get our parents more involved. And our kids soared. The work of our teachers and our principals and our counselors, they all invested in our kids and our kids soared. 36% graduation rates in 2008 when the partnership started working at those schools, 81% today. We had the highest achievement in academic improvement of any school system with more than 10,000 kids. That's what is possible in our public schools, and it's possible for all kids, but it requires real urgency and real change. 
That was Marshall Tuck, who's running for the second time now for Superintendent of Public Instruction in California. So now we're going to listen to Tony Thurman, who is in his second term in the Assembly, and he was a city councilor from Richmond before and also on the West Contra Costa Unified School Board. That's correct. And uh, relatively uh, low profile and not well known at all across the state. So this would be a huge leap for him to go from the second term uh, assembly seat to a statewide office. But he does have the CTA and union support behind him firmly. And a quite a compelling personal story, which he talks about in this clip. And I believe that all kids can achieve, and I believe that education saves lives. It literally saved mine. Um, I was raised in a low-income household, an immigrant mom from Panama, a dad who I never met, who I found on the Internet. And I didn't fall through the cracks. And in spite of being on food stamps and government cheese, I ended up in the California State Assembly instead of California State Prison. I want to give that type of an opportunity for California's six million kids and make sure they get a great opportunity, no matter what side of the tracks that they come from. And so for me, my experience has changed, and I could have easily been someone else's postscript. Instead, I get the chance to work with kids every single day and spend 20 years of my career helping them as a social worker, 12 years working in our schools, doing things that matter. Lily Plosky talked about the really significant role that community colleges played in her evolution. When I went to community college, my life turned around. I got A's for the first time. I didn't have to take that math class and fail and drop out. I was doing well because I had independence. I could pick my classes. I could pick my instructor. I was going out to get services from the counselor. I was attending events. I was active on campus. And for me, community college was that, oh my gosh, I'm not stupid. I don't have to give up the goal of college. I can pursue whatever I want. And so I got excited about education, and I thought community college is the greatest thing on earth because it let me have a do-over. And with that excitement, that enthusiasm, I was able to go from community college to UC Berkeley, my number one choice, and that's where I got my bachelor's degree, and I studied women's studies. I studied something I had never learned about in high school. I had never been aware of. What were the women doing the Civil War? What did the women do during civil rights? What were the women doing? And finally I was learning those subject matters that were interesting to me and my brain just woke up. So it's interesting that Marshall Tuck is selling himself as a, an executive with experience who has worked in both district schools and charter schools and Tony Thurman is selling himself as someone who has had been effective though he's only in his second term in the legislature. There's not a lot of distinction in the issues that certainly that we heard at the debate was there Lewis no it was very interesting uh, there were more nuances than than huge differences and I think that's probably intentional on on both sides I mean Tuck does not want to present himself as some zealot for charter schools although obviously sympathetic towards charter schools and um, I think Tony Thurman also wants to present himself a very pro-teacher but not in the pockets of the teachers' union. One of the interesting things about this hour-long forum was that Donald Trump and Betsy DeVos only came up once during the whole discussion. And that's when Tony Thurman talked about his disagreements with Betsy DeVos on the whole issue of transgender students and the decision by the Trump administration to rescind the guidelines on gender-free bathrooms in schools. Tony Thurmond. 
we have a secretary of education in this nation who is saying that she won't fight for all students, including uh, transgender students. And she doesn't think that it's her job uh, to fight for them. And I think we need someone who stands up. And that's why I started a roundtable this year on how we support our LGBTQ students. And I have a bill that's actually going to provide more professional development to support our LGBTQ students in our schools. So it's important that the superintendent of public instruction stand up to President Trump, stand up to Secretary DeVos to say, we will not allow our education to be privatized in the state of California. We're going to ban the for-profit charter schools in this state and say, you don't make money off of our kids. We're going to make sure that we say public education is not about competition. It's about an opportunity for every single student to achieve, to learn, and to live a great life. So Tuck was asked by the moderator, Guzman Lopez, if he was in the pocket of charter school interests. And this is what he had to say. I believe the question for all of us is, how do we have a great public school for all kids? Whether the public school is a traditional district school, a magnet school, or a charter school, how do we have a great public school for all kids? And I believe that high-quality charters run by nonprofit organizations, particularly in our highest poverty neighborhoods, can be a benefit to the public education system. But it's still the question fundamentally has to be, does a school have high-quality teaching with principals that support that school? Does it have a program that is truly embracing and giving kids a 21st century curriculum? Are they accepting all children? So, so we, we have to think about a system that works well. I have a six-year-old son. He goes to our local public school in LA Unified. And I think that's a good thing. That's the right school for him. I also know a lot of people who send their kids to charter schools, and they feel good with that. When we think about policy, how do we change policy so it's not this charter or district, but it's a collective public school system for all kids? Increase funding. We certainly need to actually have regulations for some charters. No for-profit charter schools. That makes sense. Making sure if a school district is losing enrollment, let's hold them harmless for a little while. We've actually seen that in other areas. If a school district loses enrollment, to actually have them be held there, harmless. There have been quite a few instances of fraud in charter schools. Anything to be done oh, on, well, the, on that I level? think for our district schools and our charter schools, we should have zero tolerance for fraud. One of the issues where there was quite a good deal of agreement as well was on the issue of suspensions and expulsions, which has now become a fairly hot national issue. The Trump administration and Betsy DeVos are threatening to repeal Obama-era guidelines that were really pushing school districts to reduce suspensions and expulsions, especially those that were disproportionately imposed on black kids and Latino kids or face action from the Office of Civil Rights. Well, the Trump administration wants to shrink the Office of Civil Rights and also has raised lots of questions about the whole discipline strategy that the Obama administration was encouraging for several years. But each of the candidates had slightly different takes on the suspensions and expulsions issue. This is what Marshall Tuck had to say. We moved towards having less suspensions, which is a good thing. But we didn't give any training to our principals and teachers and counselors. What do you do now with students? So what do we do in our schools? We actually created a separate classroom for kids. Rather than suspending them and sending them home, we had strong educators with counseling support in the classroom, helping those young people on campus so they were actually learning. And what you want the state to be doing is making sure other school districts and schools understand how to actually provide supports to young people rather than sending them home, where it may not make sense in that traditional classroom environment, with far more counseling support and have your most effective teachers in that classroom helping those young people. That was Marshall Tuck on school suspensions and expulsions. John, what did Lily Plosky have to say? Well, Lily Plosky said there needs to be more investigation into what happens to students who are kept in school instead of being suspended. 
Well, there needs to be more research on what's really happening, and we need to look and see if there are some trends or some patterns, because I think we could maybe know, and I know I've seen this, where certain faculty have exchanges with students at a much different rate than other faculty, and we need to do some professional development. And that needs to happen with the instructors as well as with support staff. I love the idea of restorative justice and that we give the student an opportunity for them to learn what they're doing and learn how their behavior impacts other people, but we also need to look at the instructor and offer them support as well. Well, Assemblyman Thurman is proud of the record in his district where in the West Contra Costa Unified School District where suspensions and expulsions have declined dramatically in the last few years. And he's very, he, he feels very strongly against using school resource officers as disciplinarians in his schools. When I was a school board member, we reduced our suspensions in one year by 27% using restorative justice because when kids get pushed out, they can't learn. When I was a school board member, I voted against expulsions almost every meeting because if you don't have a plan for how to restore a student back to the community so that he or she has a way to learn, all you're doing is pushing them into the criminal justice system. This past year, I taught a group of high school students who were in a juvenile camp, and I brought Apple into that juvenile camp to teach them how to do coding. You shouldn't have to get arrested in this state to learn how to do something like coding in this state. And so we have to tackle our suspensions and our expulsions. The sort of justice is part of it. The other piece of it is we should stop allowing and asking school resource officers to be the school disciplinarians. We have to build real systems to support. When you do that, what you're doing is you're criminalizing kids by having a police officer come to do the disciplinary work that should be happening by the appropriate deans and, and, and folks on the campus. You know, John, one of the things that surprises me about this race for superintendent of public instruction is, one, that so much money goes into it, and two, that it generates so much interest, and three, that you have good people trying to fill this position, when really the superintendent does not have that much power to shape what goes on in the schools. That's right. The State Board of Education really sets the policy and the governor appoints the members of the state board and proposes the budget. Well, Tony Thurman said he thinks that the main job of the superintendent would be the spokesman for education, taking on President Trump, advocating for additional funding, for which they all agree schools are underfunded. I would think Marshall Tuck is selling himself as an executive, somebody who can run the 2,000-employee Department of Education in the state, which Governor Brown has largely ignored for the past eight years. And it's also the case, John, that un until recently, the superintendent of public instruction was from a different party, even though it's a nonpartisan race, from the governor during the Pete Wilson years and Duke Majan, then more recently with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So there was often a lot of tension between the Department of Education and the governor and the state board. That has not been the case for the last eight years and is unlikely to be for the next eight years. And uh, so that working together with the state board and the governor, this can be quite a powerful force. And so arguably, one could say that the superintendent is going to be more of a significant player rather than a kind of a naysayer uh, in terms of what the state board or the governor wants to do. Yeah, there was a real alignment during the Brown administration between the governor and Mike Kirst, his president of the state board, and Tom Torlakson. They really thought in as one, intentionally so. I think looking ahead, I think whoever wins is really facing a department, though, that's pretty much been depleted because Governor Brown really believes in local control and not the state bureaucracy. 
Before we go there, John, uh, you you make predictions freely at certain times of the year. So what's your prediction right now? Who, who would you say is the front runner in this race? Well, only when you twist my arm. But I think it's a little too soon. It depends what happens in the primary, Who, if, in fact, somebody gets 50%. I don't know who, frankly, that would be. After that, I think it's, it's a down-ballot race. A lot of people really don't pay much attention to it. Advertising may determine a lot in this race. And technically, it's, it's not a primary. It's the actual election and uh, because it's not between Republican or Democrat. Thank you. That's right. So whoever gets 50 percent first, whether that's it's right. in June or in November, is automatically the winner. I think it's going to be a very interesting race because on one, on one level, Marshall Tuck is, has some name recognition. He ran four years ago and almost beat the incumbent, Tom Torlakson. Another significant feature of Tony Thurman's race is that he, if elected, he would be the first African-American superintendent of public instruction in almost 40 years. The last African-American superintendent was the legendary Wilson Riles, who was superintendent until 1982. And Thurman, I think, is presenting himself as somebody who reflects the diversity of California and uh, that could be a, a major selling point in his campaign. He was a social worker, too, working with students in Richmond. He ran for the assembly. And I think he will sell himself as somebody who understands what low-income students go through because, in fact, he was one himself. And conversely, Marshall Tuck comes across very well on the campaign trail. He uh, presents himself as a, an effective executive and who has worked on both sides of the aisle in terms of the charter school and public school, traditional public school divide. So uh, just have to see how all of that plays itself out in the next few months. Right. He's selling himself as someone who actually has turned around schools and could run a big organization. That just about wraps it up for this week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. And thanks to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.